I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Tiffany Gardner, the CEO of Reflect Us, a nonpartisan coalition working to increase the number of women in office, as well as the diversity of women in elected positions. Tiffany Gardner and I discuss how the U.S. fares in comparison to other countries in regards to women's representation in government. We also talk about what her organization is doing to bring more women, including women from diverse backgrounds, including diverse racial, ideological, and ethnic backgrounds, to the table to lead. So here is my conversation with Tiffany Gardner. Tiffany Gardner, welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me, what what inspired you to move into this work? I know that Reflect Us works with a lot of different organizations that target women and helping them run for office, you know, with training and funding. And but what drove you? Like what was missing in that family of organizations? You know, for me, um, I had actually started my my career, my work internationally. I started in post-apartheid South Africa, working with um, female parliamentarians there and then went to, to Ghana, West Africa, working with rural farming uh, women there and then Cambodia and other places. And when I came back here to the U.S., you know, I saw the issues there. I saw how in, in other places where I had lived and worked um the issue of gender parity in politics and political representation was an issue and it was talked about um, in the national discourse, whereas here it really wasn't. And then in a lot of other places where I worked and lived, there were actual um, active um, initiatives being done at the governmental level to make sure that numbers were more equal with respect to gender representation. Again, here it wasn't. So it's always been on my mind. Um, but why I moved into this role being the CEO of Reflect Us is because Although there were a lot of groups and a lot of great groups working on this issue, um, the idea that this was a coalition and a coalition of all these amazing groups coming together, united, and the solidarity around that really excited me. And it just felt like a great opportunity for me to, um, to help really, you know, get some stamina behind and some velocity, as it were, behind this issue that kind of, quite frankly, just really doesn't seem like it's on the pulse of sort of the American public. You know, I've heard that before about, you know, other countries. When you look at the percentage of representation that women have in government here, right, in comparison to a lot of other countries, I think people assume that since we kind of have, especially after the 2016 election, this kind of strong feminist voice within our, Mm -hmm. you know, within our conversations that, you know, people are always talking about women being representative in government. And that's just not true, really. Like we are pretty far down on the totem pole in that respect. No, we certainly are. I mean, when we think that women make up 51% of the U.S. population, yet we only make up 26% of the Senate, and then it gets sort of the numbers get worse from there. Um, I think it's what, like 23.2% of the House and only 18% of governorships. Um, The numbers are really, really abysmal. And then um, even women running for office and the amount of um, challenges and even attacks that they had that men just don't have, there's a real block right, within um, the American discourse when it comes to female leadership that, to your point, you just don't see it in our peer countries. Um, You know, many of our peer countries already have had women heads of state, which we have yet to have, right? Um, And aside from that, when you look at their parliaments or whatever governmental system they have, it's just much more reflective of their society, whereas here in the U.S., it's very, very... um, very lopsided. Yeah, people are surprised when I mentioned that New Zealand, they gave women the right to vote. I think it was a quarter of a century before we did here in America. And I think that that sets up a country in, in ways for women leadership that we just don't have here. We don't necessarily have that foundation. You know, we've always kind of pushed women to the sideline in terms of, you know, government leadership. But, you know, I'm curious about, you know, some of the countries that you were working in, you, you mentioned Ghana, like what's the difference there culturally in terms of how people view women in leadership? 
You know, that's a really good question. You know, what I will say in, in the countries where I've been and even countries that, you know, I, I've studied is that generally speaking, there is more of an openness um, to having female leadership, however it may be. So if you even take sort of, you know, traditional African societies and you think about sort of the chiefs and, and you know, by and large, the chiefs are men. Yeah, you have this very esteemed role for the queen mother, which is the chief's um, mom. Right. And so there, there are places in these societies where women, be it even outside of government, have positions of, of authority um, and their their um, authority is, is, is recognized where I just don't see it here in the U.S. in that same way. And I just think that that kind of just spills over. So the cultural part spills over into the political, but also just to be completely honest, like in some countries, you don't have that cultural um, acceptance of female authority. So they write it into their political process, right? So some have, you know, quotas. Um, others may have ranked choice voting. There's other ways you can write it in. But I guess overall, the difference is that in a lot of our peer countries, this is an active conversation. And it's understood that this is an issue that has to actively be addressed, whereas here in the U.S., um, you know, thankfully for coalitions like Reflect Us, we're beginning to have that conversation and beginning to think about how do we make sure that this is actively not just discussed to begin with, but also actively addressed. You know, one of the things that strikes me about, you know, what you've described and, you know, women in other countries and their leadership roles, it feels like here in America, culturally, when women take leadership roles in their community, you know, let's say mm-hmm. they're, you know, working in the PTA or just you know, doing some community organizing or just leadership in their home and in their schools, we malign that leadership, right? We reduce it, right? It isn't taken for the strength that it is. You know, and I think that that is one of the things that possibly is different when, you know, women display leadership roles in their communities and other countries in comparison to ours, right? As opposed to saying, hey, you know, this person can go further. This person can have a, a bigger leadership role. I, I think that's um, that's spot on. I mean, when we think about, um, we reflect us and our, and our coalition members think about what are some of those barriers to women running? Um, you know, one of the, the main ones, if not always the top one, is the stereotypes and stigma around female leadership and how that gets, um, how that can easily and often becomes very distorted, right? And sort of, um, you know, she becomes sort of, you know, the B-I-T-C-H or, you know, the, um, you know, the angry one, right? Or the nasty one, right? You know what I mean? And so it's this sort of like, visceral reaction, right, right, to female leadership and to strong women. And I think that spills over to a lot of um, aspects of our society, but particular when it comes to political leadership of women. Um, and so that is, and then you also have, you know, just sort of more um, structural issues, right, that that one of our coalition members uh, represent women really is, um, is pushing against um, institutionally. So for instance, um, campaign financing, right? And so when one, you know, has money, um, donated to their campaign, the money can be used for a lot of different things and in different ways, but like it can't be used for childcare, right? And so that really is an issue that's going to impact women disproportionately. So there's other issues like that that are both sort of outwardly, um, you know, discriminatory against women in terms of the stigma and the stereotyping, but then other issues that are institutionally sort of work their way against women um, running and being elected for office. So I know that you work with, Reflect Us works with a lot of different organizations to build a coalition, right? Uh, what are some of those organizations and what's kind of your role as the glue into, you know, bringing all of those goals together? So, you know, I, I, I talk about the Reflect Us Coalition members kind of like the Avengers, right? <laughs> 
And so they're all <laughs> quite powerful and amazing in their own right. And then we come together and sort of har- um, harness all that power to sort of like, if they're all pushing, I always use this analogy, if they're all pushing sort of like the rocks up the mountain, then the coalition comes together and is able to push the boulder up the mountain, right? So um, our coalition is nine members. Um, it's um, ideologically um, diverse. So we're nonpartisan. We have both left-leaning and right-leaning organizations racially diverse, um, as well as age diverse. So we have um, members that work with young college girls all the way up to your more mature women. So um, organizations such as Ignite, which is sort of like really sort of the, the gold standard when it comes to um, to training and getting young college women involved in the political process and running for office, um, Vote Run Lead, which sort of like, you know, trains women who are sort of further along in their political awakening, as it were, and they just do sort of st- stellar, stellar training. So um, several of the um, women that are in Congress now have come out of Vote Run Leads training to higher heights, which is like the engine in terms of getting African-American women um, running and elected. Um, Kamala Harris has been involved with them, as well as others, um, Stacey Abrams as well. Um, then you also have She Should Run, um, which, and I love that one um, because it kind of talks about what you alluded to, where you have women who are leaders in their communities, be it the PTA or their church, their synagogue, their mosque. And then someone says, you should run for office. Who, me? Yeah, she should run, right? <laughs> so they work with women who had who ha- have may not have necessarily seen themselves political, but then give them the tools. And then you have WPLN, and that's really sort of the, 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 the start when it comes to um, training and supporting right-leaning women, Republican women running for office um, and then represent women who's really working on institutional change back to the barriers I was talking about everything from campaign financing to ranked choice voting being very smart about how can we sort of think about changing the system to make it more of a democracy um, represent women um, does that kind of work then you have apex that really focuses on Asian American women Latinas represent um, Latina and Latinx um, doing amazing work on that front. Um, and I think I think I got everyone. Hopefully I didn't forget anyone. There's nine of them. And also Empower Women is also doing some great work as well. And so, again, these women are coming from different communities, um, approaching the problem, or I should say approaching different aspects of the, pro- of the problem, and then harnessing all of their collective resources, all of their collective expertise, and kind of like drilling down um, into different locations, locales, and states in this country to really accelerate um, the pace of change when it comes to women running for and getting elected to office. Yeah, I know a lot of those organizations that you've mentioned and have talked to a lot of those leaders and they, they're doing some amazing work. So that's an, that's an incredible coalition. You're right. It's like the Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, you know, just anecdotally, because I know that Reflect Us works with, like we talked about before, you go into the community and find women who are already leaders, but you also go into low income communities and poor communities, right? And mm-hmm. I find that admirable because, you know, I think just anecdotally, you know, within my lifetime, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, I don't think that we thought of those women as leaders. You know, the women who were in politics probably had wealthier backgrounds or their husbands were in politics or something like that. Right. And so what are the other barriers, do you think, for women from those communities going into politics? So, right, Jenna, you know, it's funny because when I started this role, I thought, okay, well, you know, here we have this huge collective resource and power and reflect us. And what is, you know, one of the ways or the, or the way that we can most make an impact in this field, right? And in the movement. And as I said, you know, had had had, had I come on, you know, 10 to 20 years ago, I would have definitely said women of color, right? And I think there's been um, a 
a lot of self-reflection in the movement when it comes to that history of women of color being excluded. And I think there's been a lot of course correction there. But where I really see the silence to your question is in thinking about working class and lower income women, right? And sort of, um, I think running for office for anyone male or female is sort of a wealthier person's game or at least a person who has a lot of resources and networks, so they're just going to do better. And, and that in and of itself is an issue. And I think when it becomes when it comes to women, it's even um, more of an extreme example of that. Um, so I think, you know, for working class and, and lower income women, they are leaders in their communities, right? So they're the ones who are heading up the block associations. They're the ones who are, you know, heading up the welfare rights organizations. They're the ones in our farming and rural communities, right? That are, you know, part of those collectives that are, you know, if, if you have a neighbor who's in need, it's going to be the women who are going to rally around and, you know, provide support for that neighbor, who's going to organize the support for that neighbor. And so, I said it reflect us with the power of these nine organizations and with our our power that we can harness. Let's start drilling down into these communities. So we're starting our state network is called From the Ground Up, and it's the state network. And we're targeting six states in the country so that we're regionally diverse. And we're working with, you know, local, you know, grassroots organizations, um, farming associations who are already working with these women where they're already leaders and, you know, supporting them on their political journeys. And we're super excited about that. You know, often when we talk about, you know, women, you know, breaking into leadership roles, bigger leadership roles, you know, outside of their community or representing their communities on a larger stage. You know, we talk about the barriers in relation to external barriers like racism or, you know, sexism. And that, that's certainly a huge part of it. But I just wonder, you know, we don't often talk about how those external barriers, what they do internally to women, because mm-hmm. I, I would imagine that, you know, that, you know, women, you know, seeing who's leading them, they may think that, you know, hey, this isn't for me, right? Like it, it creates an internal dialogue where they're, you know, not confident to go into leadership roles or to run for mm-hmm. office. Do you see that often? Oh, God, yes. I mean, when we talk about the barriers, I mean, I started on, you know, the systemic barriers and the institutional barriers and talking about the stereotyping that happens externally from from without, but certainly, certainly those barriers from within are, um, are, are huge, right? So like She Should Run, one of our coalition partners has this, you know, and others have talked about it too, but they do such a great job on like the imposter syndrome, right? And really sort of highlighting that. Um, Higher Heights as well does a great job with with, with this um, community, African-American women, and just talking about that. And studies have shown that like, I think you have to ask a man probably once, right, to run for office and sort of his response is like, oh, you should have been asked me, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what took you so long? Me, but like, <laughs> I should be president by now. Well, like, a woman, you have to like ask her several times, like like repeatedly. And each time her response is that, well, I don't have this, you know, I, I don't know this. I don't have this skill set. I'm not sure about that, you know? Um That's the first thing. And then a lot of times when men run is sort of, um, you know, a a lot of it. And I'm sure, you know, they're mission driven to some extent, too. I don't want to, you know, paint a blanket picture here. But a lot of times it's the sort of prestige in running. So the offices that they will run for will be more prestigious. Whereas for women, you know, you know, all politics is local, as they say. So for women, they'll run for those offices that are impacting their lives. Right. So the school board for their kids, um, the city council, um, whatever local commissions. Right. The, the, The zoning board you'll find women running um, for those positions that impact their daily lives. You know, what else is happening in conjunction with, you know, you probably already know this number already, but, you know, there are record number for women running for office again this year, you know, especially women of color and especially black women running for Congress. And that's a number that I like to keep repeating because it makes me happy. But, you know, we we don't often talk about the 
the climate that they're running mm-hmm. in, right? We, you know what just happened a few weeks ago, Governor Gretchen Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, that plot to kidnap her and, you know, Kamala Harris, Senator Kamala Harris being called a monster. Women yep. are entering a really, really nasty climate. And I think that in part it's due to the fact that more women are seeking leadership positions, right? And mm-hmm. I was just curious, what's your take on that? And is that discouraging in some way to women, more women running for office? You know, I, I have to say that unfortunately, I wish it were sort of a symptom of more women running. I, I, I think it, I think it was always there, right? I just think we just saw so few women running that we didn't see it as apparently, right? Um, but, but I do think that again, this, um, this very low notion that there are particular places where you, where you should see women, be it you know in the home with the children, I think is just sort of an undercurrent. Of all of this, I mean, we have one woman, phenomenal lady, running out of Texas, and you know she happens to be a Republican, and she, you know, she and I were talking just the other day, and she says, "Tiff, you will never imagine how many times when I'm out on the campaign trail that they'll say, don't you have kids?' <laughs> Shouldn't you be at home taking care of your kids? Or, you know, she's not married. So they'll ask her, you know, where's your husband? Why are you not married? So like these sort of like societal notions of what it means to be a woman, I think, is something that when when women run for office, it really kind of pushes back against that. And I think when you're pushing back against sort of some very deep-seated societal, you know, sexist notions in a lot of ways, you are going to get those sort of very ugly reactions and comments. Um, I will say that. Um Though I do think you're right that particular groups of women face it even more so. So you have the sexism and then couple that with the racism and it can become very, very ugly. Um, And so, yeah, I think that, um, you know, that's something that a lot of our coalition members work with a lot is just to support. Because a lot of times when women do decide to run for office, it's when anyone runs for office, it's a very lonely game, right? So when a woman runs for office for all of these reasons, um, it becomes even lonelier. So you know, our coalition members like Vote Run Lead, um, Latinas Represent, um, Higher Heights, of course. Higher Heights has its um, Sunday brunch every Sunday. And a lot of it is just sort of like, let's just come together and let's just support each other because um, it is quite difficult. Do you go to the Sunday brunches? I've been to a couple. Yeah, they're, I, I love Glenda. I love the work. Glenda. I do too. I to those. Yeah, I have been to those. Um, no, and then I think, you know, the other thing that we, you know, a lot of us don't really think about is when we talk about support, it's the emotional support. But um, I was just on a call not long ago with one of the uh the, the, the junior members of Congress, an African-American woman. And she's saying, listen, you know, you all get excited for us when we're running and, you know, you'll you'll donate what we love, but you don't understand that, like, for us to sort of, like, do our job once we get elected, like, the funding isn't there for us. So, like, to join certain, and I was very surprised to hear this, but even to join certain committees um, in Congress, like, there's, like, a membership fee, you know what I mean? And so it's sort of, like, how do we make sure that women, and this is something that Reflect Us is really thinking deeply about, along with our nine coalition members, is that, once we do the hard work of getting these women elected, how do we sort of ensure that they're successful once they're there, you know, and are able to sort of stay there and do the jobs that, you know, we, we want to see them do once they get elected? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, so it has always been there, of course. <laughs> Sexism, racism has always been there um, for women. But I think. I feel something different in this moment. It feels bolder, yeah. right? Like yeah. I, we yeah. haven't had a lot of kidnapping plots in the past. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, this is, you know, I have a good friend of mine who's running um, for one of these very highly publicized uh, positions here. And just to think about the courage and the boldness that it takes to run 
in this particular climate, regardless, it is pretty mind boggling. And then to your point, to couple that with with being a woman in this climate, I think is um these are some very, very bold ladies and, and hence they they truly, truly need our support, um, which is what we're really trying to provide in in in, in, a, in a myriad of ways. What kind of legislation are you focusing on with Reflect Us that's most important? Because I know that you work, you're work, working with states directly. What is the most important legislation you think there is to focus on in relation to women? Wow. Wow, there's quite a bit. You know, so I think as it relates to women and women being successful in, in running for office, and not even successful in running, right? Um, but actually women being encouraged even to begin to think about running, this thing when it comes to childcare and being able to use, um, you know, campaign donations for childcare um, is huge. Like that's a game changer. And that's something that universally we're working on. There's, there's, there's an amazing organization um, called Vote Mama. And, um, and, and, and the founder there has just really been um, phenomenal on, on really getting this issue out. So I would say sort of universally, um, that would be the legislation that, you know, um, one would push in this sort of in, in, in this work. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're a C3, so we're not directly pushing it, but we are supportive of it and just understand that the common sense of it. And then with respect to sort of our state networks, you know, we're on the ground. Um, we're in, you know, Virginia and Vermont, and we're very deeply involved in Texas um, and, 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 and Washington State and Arizona and, and, and looking to work in some other places, beginning to work in those states. So really talking to our local partners about what the issues are. And, you know, the one thing that people um, probably has lost on a lot of people is that a lot of these positions, again, all politics is local. And so most women, when they begin running, they're running for local positions, right? Um, a lot of those are either very lowly paid or unpaid to begin with, right? So how do we think about, you know, making political representation, political leadership sustainable for everyone versus those who are already in a position to be able to afford, you know what I mean? So that's the thing. Our representation shouldn't be based on whether or not you can afford it, you know what I mean? Or whether or not you have the resources to afford it, um, that, that, that surely can't be you know, what we think of when we think of a reflective and a representative democracy. So those are some of the um, the legislations we're going to be working on and, and thinking about pushing. Well, that's incredible. So you you can't use camp right now. You can or you cannot use campaign donations for child care. You cannot. You cannot. Oh, wow. I yeah. never really thought about that. That's a huge yeah. barrier. Because think about how much time you're spending just out on the campaign trail, knocking on doors or, you know, handing out leaflets. It's a lot of time. So, um, again, I, you know, Vote Mom has been doing some great work on this. And so they've been able to get legislation passed in some states around this. We're really making that like a federal law that you're able to because that's, you know, that, that's a, that's a non-starter thing. If you can't use your, your funds to like, you know, hire your sitter or, you know, whoever you're going to hire, daycare, whatever have you, that's a non-starter. Right. And it locks out a lot of, you know, single parents as well. So, <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, that's excellent. Well, Tiffany Gardner, thank you so much for your work with Reflect Us. And, you know, um, thank you so much for bringing more women to the stage, bringing more women into leadership, because we can certainly use that. And just thank you for taking time to join me today. It was so wonderful being with you, Jen. And um, please, anyone who's interested, um, we'd love to have you as a part of this growing movement. We need you as a part of this growing movement. And thanks again um, for giving me some time to talk about Reflect Us today. 